Hello and welcome to Star Trek Sundays. Today's episode is Expectation versus Reality, in which we'll discuss how this theme was presented and contemplated through Star Trek in Booby Trap and Galaxy's Child. If you're new here, I'm Victoria and with me is my co-host T. Star Trek Sundays is a podcast through which we and our guest crew examine the philosophical themes presented in Star Trek every Sunday at 10 a.m. PST here on Clubhouse. Our goal is not to come to conclusions on the themes we discuss, but to spark contemplation and conversation, which we hope continues after the live recording and into the lives of the listeners of the podcast. The Star Trek Sundays podcast is available one week after the live recording on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and from anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please consider subscribing to our channels. It helps us reach others who might enjoy the show. So T, these were two great episodes to watch together from different seasons of Star Trek Next Generation. And a number of quotes came to mind when we were in the watch party. One was, disappointment is the gap that exists between expectation and reality. And expectation is the root of all heartache. Both of these were very apparent in these episodes. Can you tell us how Star Trek examined or presented expectation versus reality? And then let us know why you chose these episodes in particular? Absolutely, Victoria. And thank you. Yeah, I really loved it when um, Guinan was dropping truth bombs on Jordy about wearing a different visor, one that makes him see only what he wants to see. Expectations versus reality is a theme that runs deep in Star Trek, and it's one of those that resonates with audiences precisely because it's such a fundamental part of the human experience. Throughout the franchise, we see characters grappling with the tension between what they expect the world to be like and what the world actually is. One of the most interesting aspects of this theme in Star Trek is how it relates to the relationship with technology. The Star Trek universe is full of futuristic technology, from the replicator that can create food and other objects on demand, to the holodecks that can create fully immersive virtual environments. These technologies allow characters to create their own realities and indulge in expectations in ways that would not be possible in the real world. But as we see time and time again in the Star Trek universe, expectations often clash with reality. Characters like Jordi LaForge, for example, can become so invested in their relationship with the holographic creation that they forget that they're not real people. And then when faced with a situation that requires them to confront the true nature of their expectations, they're forced to confront that harsh reality and that their expectations were not based in reality. This tension between expectations and reality also plays out on broader scales as the characters grapple with the limitations of their own abilities and the realities of the world around them. Whether it's the limitations of their technology, the harsh realities of war and conflict, or the limitations of their own bodies and mind, characters in Star Trek are constantly faced with the challenge of reconciling their expectations with the reality that they encounter. So at its core, the theme of expectations versus reality in Star Trek is about the human experience grappling with the gap between what we want the world to be like and what it actually is. By exploring this tension in the t context of futuristic technologies with interstellar conflicts, Star Trek offers a unique lens through which we can reflect on our own experiences and learn to navigate the complexities of the world around us.
Right. Yeah. That gap, the gap between what we want and what is, is uh, heavy stuff at times. So let's start with Booby Trap. Can you provide a summary of the episode to remind those who didn't get a chance to review it, what the story was about, and then I'll pose the question to you and the crew. Definitely. Uh, Booby Trap from the Next Generation, Season 3, Episode 6, first aired on the on October the 30th, 1989. Jordy becomes enamored with a holographic recreation of a designer of the Enterprise's engine systems, but must come to terms with the fact that his feelings for the hologram are distracting him from his responsibilities as chief engineer. I chose this episode because Jordy is beautifully set up for failure in human relationships when he tries to recreate another human on the holodeck and intentionally ignores everything he doesn't want to know about them, like that they're married in real life. Right. Yeah, thanks, T. This episode was absolutely perfect for the theme of today, and it contained a lot of issues with the story and script that we can discuss later. I remember everybody at the watch party agreed there were some really creepy bits of writing and cringe in this episode. So let's just put that out there now in case any listeners are like, hey, but I hated this episode. But it was spot on for expectation versus reality. So let's dig into uh, some of the big questions. I'm stepping aside a little bit from Jordy because there was a scene where Picard saves the day when he maneuvers out of the asteroid field with his cool drift of the Enterprise. And everybody was saying, oh, the computer's going to do such a great job. And it was Picard who saved the day. Do you think that there is a class of skill at which computers will never be able to outperform humans? It's a tricky question. I think that there will come a time in which this question gets asked and challenged over and over. Um, Because right now, it's obvious, for example, that, you know, Humans are better than at loving other humans or caring for other humans than computers are. But I wonder if there won't come a time in which that won't be true. You know, in the distant future, when robots are more attentive, they can care for the elders in ways that, uh, that humans simply can't, simply by being present all the time and noticing things about their health conditions that humans would just never pick up on. They can talk to them in ways that, you know, maybe a human uh, simply doesn't possess, you know, many humans don't possess the capability for, you know, especially when we're talking about these really large language models. It's it's an interesting question because I, I think that we're going to intuitively say, you know, humans are always going to be better at X, where X is, you know, some emotional thing, like, you know, creating art or writing a, a move, making a movie or loving someone or taking care of someone or doing that and then we're going to be able to point at examples where human where you know uh, computers are rapidly surpassing us in that regard for example art where we have these ai machines that are making art that's you know more more effective at making art than i am in photoshop that's for sure um or it's uh you know uh, ai machines that are that are more capable of of understanding and processing and, and predicting the next thing that should come next um, in, a, in a set of speech than I am, right? And is doing able to do a capable of doing it more reliably. I think that we're going to continually have to um, reassert our, our dominance as humans in a, in a landscape where uh, computers are increasingly becoming enabled and empowered 
and better than us at just about everything. So I'm not sure that there ever will be a thing that humans are always better at. I just know that there will always be, you know, a role for humans in humanity in doing the humans things because humans will, for whatever reason, prefer a human to a computer. And that's fine too. Well, that's really interesting because I wonder if you're, if we're looking at computers that have like all of the information that could ever be known by any human that ever existed, right? There'll be a computer like that one day. But do we really know that that is everything that has been known by humankind? Yes, maybe, because most people aren't holding a thought that nobody else has thought of before. But I just wonder how accessing that is going to work. And certainly there's high speeds. We've seen that with the computers on the enterprise and data and, and stuff. But I'm thinking about this drift that Picard did with the enterprise. I mean, there was some knowledge that he had that he could see could be added to this situation that perhaps a computer might not have been able to see, right? Unless somebody programmed that computer or the computer had some sort of learning model to teach itself different combinations. So I find that that kind of interesting. I was a little underwhelmed because I felt like data could have pulled it off. You know, I felt like it wasn't really uni unique to Picard to use gravity in, in uh, an acceleration um, computation. And something like, you know, Data could have figured it out. He just didn't. And then he was sort of like wide-eyed about Picard having figured it out. It really felt like Data would have been like, well, yeah, that's exactly what I would have done, you know? So why do you think that they made Picard do it? Just to show off his old school... Yes, it, it, I think it was world building and character stuff, right? I think it was very much, you know, oh, season, okay. it was season two, first and, first and foremost. And so we were just establishing Grandfather Picard as opposed to season one's General Picard. Um, and so we were trying to make him seem more human and give the, the crew sort of an awe of him. And in my mind, it was just, you know, an artifact of the underdevelopment that they would later fix in, in later seasons, right? Season six and season, season seven were terribly mature compared to the production of like season two. Right, right. Okay. So Ryan, thanks for coming up. So I'll put the question to you, but then you can tell us what you thought of the, the whole episode as well. Remembering part two of the story we'll talk about in uh, the second episode of this uh of the show. So Picard saves the day when he maneuvers out of the asteroid field with his cool drift of the Enterprise. Do you think there is a class of skill at which computers will never be able to outperform humans? No, no. The, the cybernetic life, artificial intelligence, you know, advanced robotics, they, they are, and this has always been my, my position, they, they are our children. And so they, they will surpass us because we want them to surpass us. That's the whole point of them existing. I think that at the time, <clears throat> Star Trek was working with a sort of outdated idea of what technology is. And uh, you see certain uh, prejudices that Star Trek at the time still had 
and which continues to this day, right? Like genetic engineering is a classic Star Trek prejudice that the Federation has. Artificial intelligence is whatever the writers need to make a fun story. And so Data should have been able to figure that out. He should have had the knowledge to do the cool move. But, you know, there's a saying that luck favors the bold. So does death, right? And Picard, as we developed his character, is shown to be bold and impulsive uh, as a core part of his nature, which he then, through experiences like being stabbed in the back through the heart, tempers that boldness, right? So he has a natural instinct to want to leap off the cliff, even though his experiences have taught him to be more measured, to think deeply about things. And so this is this is a classic human prejudice of a human can do it better. And this is also what T was saying, that we're developing the character of Picard to be impressive to his subordinates. But, like, of, of course, uh, a computer can drive a car now, but a, com- a computer can't drift a car right now. That's something humans do, right? Like you put them in a, in a hot rod car and tell them to drift through these tight lanes, whether it be in Tokyo or LA or Nevada or wherever. And humans can do that, can learn to do that. But our level of artificial intelligence currently cannot. But someday it will because we, we are planning on it we are planning on this technology be surpassing us and becoming our, our next step in the cosmic evolution. So I hate to uh, be a, a Debbie Downer there, uh, Ryan, but I'm just posting in the chat right now uh, that Toyota and Stanford just just uh, developed a self-driving Supra that can drift. I, I stand corrected. Well, there you go. Of course, right. it's a Supra. <laughs> It, it, that's the. It, but again, we we want our children to surpass us, and to think of AI as anything but our children, um, I think is a mistake. Well, Stefan wrote in the chat too. This is a a quote from the the side chat here. I think they also talked about Picard also having expertise and experience with the drift from the Stargazer. He'd done similar things and seen it practically applied, which is not the same as has. Uh, having it simply laid out on paper. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the reality is, is that if if we map out technology based on what's currently happening now, and think towards the time that the Enterprise D should exist in, there shouldn't be any people on that ship. It should be purely automated with a few cyborgs or a few androids, because the the human element at that point almost becomes a a risk. If there's insurance companies in this future, having a human on board would be catastrophic. And not to to sidetrack or anything, but you bring up an interesting point. And I was wondering if we could talk for just one second, since I see nobody else is up on stage yet, about Picard's childlike enthusiasm for discovering a ship that was built at a time when he said humans were still using crossbows, I think, as their main weaponry, his whole demeanor was 
was just amazing. And I sat there just, you know, I wanted to be, you know, shorthand. And he's my Indiana Jones. And we are discovering the idol together. I felt like, you know, this was, you know, if I was Data or, or Riker or Worf on this, I was, you know, walking alongside a living legend making history. I mean, Picard gets giddy when it comes to archaeology. You can you can always sidetrack Picard if you just put something really old and ancient in front of him and go, "Oh, there's a mystery here. We should go. We should go investigate." Yeah, he's going to follow that that rabbit trail every single time, right? Yeah, I did enjoy that uh, that part of this episode, and it's always fun to see picard get excited about that and i think i even mentioned it at the watch party is usually he's got such a stern face and every once in a while you see him light up and it's it's absolutely great so well why don't we move on to the next episode since it's it's probably great to talk about this as an entire story altogether. this is star trek sundays on clubhouse our regular show is sunday at 10 a.m pst to be notified of future shows please join the house on clubhouse and our mailing list at StarTrekSundays.com. Today, we are discussing expectations versus reality. And before we move on to Galaxy's Child, T, can you tell us what we have coming up next week? Absolutely. Next week is Hero's Journey, starting with The City on the Edge of Forever from the original series. Season 1, Episode 18, originally aired on the 6th of April, 1967. Wow, that's old. Kirk and Spock go back in time to save McCoy and their own universe. One of my favorite episodes of the original series. Absolutely thrilled to be watching this one. Followed by Rightful Air from The Next Generation, Season 6, Episode 23, uh, originally aired on the 17th of May, 1993, at the Klingon Monastery on Boreth. Worf sees a very real version of Kalos, the unforgettable, and goes on a quest to discover his past. A very, very cool example of the hero's journey. Right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to both of these. I think these will be, a, it'll be a great watch party. So anybody who wants to watch along with us, Steve, who's usually here, has a watch party on Saturdays, starts at 12 p.m., PST and then we start the streaming at 1 p.m. and we meet in Clubhouse but then we we stream it together over on Discord. So the Discord link will be in the room at 12 and you'll have an hour to sign up if you haven't already done that. So check that out. Well, thank you T. Let's move on to Galaxy's Child. Can you provide a summary of this episode to remind those who didn't get a chance to review it what it was about and then I'll put the question to you and the crew. Yes, Galaxy's Child from The Next Generation, Season 4, Episode 16, originally aired on the 11th of March in 1991. The Enterprise crew encounters a space-dwelling creature and its newborn, which attached to the ship and caused damage, while Geordi meets the real-life Leia Bronze and learns to appreciate her for who she is rather than the idealized version he had created in his mind. I chose this episode because it's all about having to check expectations and Guinan drops some truth bombs on Jordy, and he's forced to take a more careful look at his approach to relationships. 
Yeah, thanks, T. Once again, the crew at the watch party had a few choice words for Jordy's behavior in this episode, which we can talk about after. We've talked about situations in the past where expectations don't meet reality at, at times, right? I'd like to know <laughs> from you and Ryan, can you share a time in your life when you started a relationship, romantic or otherwise, and your expectations did not meet reality, and you had to end the relationship or modify it in some behavior. And what contributed to the gap between expectation and reality in this instance? I mean, I've, I've certainly gotten to a relationship only to find out that, you know, she's a crazy stalker. Um, and I, that's sort of, you know, the thing that you find out a little too late, right, is that they're obsessive and will stalk you and report you to the police and do all these crazy things. And, you know, it ends up being just messy. And so six months in, you find out and then you're like, okay, get out as fast as you can. Right. And what I've learned from this is, you know, dating is a, a, a combinatorics problem. Relationships are a combinatorics problem. And dating is how you, you know, you solve for the combinatorics problem, right? You find somebody who you want to be in a relationship with and you date them. And that's how you figure out if being in a relationship with them works. And you don't, you know, commit to a heavy relationship where, you know, you move in together and, and do all these things right away. And yeah, you learn that lesson. So you think in this case that it was um, just moving too fast. You think that um, if, if you had taken your time, it would have shown before you made the commitments? Yeah, definitely. It would have. And it's just, you know, being young and, and, and impetus and uh, not having good judgment. So sometimes that happens. Okay. How about you, Ryan? Can you share a time in your life when you started a relationship, romantic or otherwise, and your expectations did not meet reality and you had to end the relationship? Yeah, I mean, I feel I feel a certain level of empathy for Jordy LaForge in this episode and, and episodes where he's he's talking to the the virtual Leah versus the real Leah. Because that's that's something that I used to do in high school where I would sort of fall in love with someone from afar, but then I got to know them. And the the voice that I had invented in my mind for them was dramatically different from the one in real life. Not necessarily the tone of their voice, because I knew what they sounded like, but the content of their character and the content of who they were. And I think that's something that many people struggle with early on in their romantic endeavors, that the person that they fall in love with is not the actual person, but, but the idea of the person. And here's a perfect example of, of the dangers of virtual reality in, in a real sense that even without the holodeck, people can form virtual realities in their mind and then act like it is real. And then the disappointment or the challenge comes when your well the the sort of the global we the the royal we encounters the actual truth and so that that i do empathize with jordy here i also think that it was clearly shown that him as a character did this often right where he had the hots for somebody 
but it wasn't that he had the hots for them. He had the hots for the person he had invented in his mind. And in terms of, of for me in my youth, I was, I was very head first. Like I, I was, well, I would just jump in and I had a sort of idea that I had built up in my mind. And when that inevitable disappointment hit, you know, that's where, where I had to sort of confront reality. And there, there were a few people where I would say it was equal parts, their deception and my own deception. But I think that humans have a massive capacity for self-deception in a way that, that we always have to be checking. And I think that's what happened to Jordi LaForge, right? He, he fell in love with the proxy of a human being. And then when he met the human being, he realized that that's not who she was. Right, right. You know, while you were talking about that, I was thinking about some conversations that we've all had here about how we see things differently now at the ages we are or, or after things have settled or, you know, things have aged over time. And I'm reminded of this conversation that we had about Riker when he didn't take on the offer from Q to be part of Q. And that surprised me now, but I, I didn't think much of it back then when I was watching it. It was just part of the storyline. It was like, yeah, you know, I thought Riker was, you know, the big hunky guy who was off to do adventures and everything. And, and somehow I had convinced myself of that to the point where I wasn't seeing these things back then. I wasn't noticing them. I didn't want to notice that, hey, wait a second, he's not actually written that way. I'm believing that he's this daring guy, but in fact, he's not. And we've talked about this several times where, like, why hasn't he gone off and become a captain? And why didn't he go off with Q? And in reality, he might be seen as a bit of a coward in some way, or at least not this Indiana Jones that I think a lot of people thought he was until they reviewed it again. So I, I wonder if you guys see that in other characters, whether it's Star Trek or otherwise, the expectation that we have of the character isn't really how they were written. I'm, I'm wondering if you want to explore that with me. Yeah, well, I mean, R Riker has the appearance of being the next Kirk, but he shows over and over and over again that he's actually quite conservative when it comes to his ideals and his tactics. There's a reason why there is the Picard maneuver, where you go to warp one for a few seconds and then attack your opponent right in front of them. Picard is actually incredibly bold, even though he presents himself as a measured, straight-laced officer. Riker is dependent on Picard, on the boldness of Picard. And he's, in some ways, a foil to Picard by saying, by, by restraining him, by keeping him back, by reminding, reminding him of the rules. If Riker was bold he would have run away with Deanna Troy a long time ago. But again, Riker chose the Federation, his duty, over his romantic love until later on in his life. He had to watch other people fall in love successfully with Deanna Troy before he could finally be bold enough to do it himself. 
and that's something that I really admire about Worf, right? Worf is this bold character who just does. And what he does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. And the only thing that holds him back is the idea that he's going to break something. But that's because he acknowledges that he is this hulking monster in a china shop from his perspective, right? Because he grew up both Klingon and human. Jordy LaForge presents himself as, well, he's written as the nerd, even though he has aspects of, of being kind of an incel. A lot of his romantic relationships early on in TNG floundered and failed because, again, of his expectations versus reality. So he, he is a dreamer in that sense that his flights of fancy will get him even to the point where a robotic being presented himself as his mother on a ship, right? Even though he has the, the cyborg vision and he can see the entire magnetic spectrum, he's still affected by illusions, but based on his own mind. Do you think that's because he's an engineer? Do you think he thinks that, like, is there something in the character of an engineer or, you know, like, let's look at at industries maybe or jobs and professions where because he's so used to engineering things that he just assumes he can engineer these situations and these people? I think so. But, you know, there was a meeting of the generations a few episodes back where, where Jordy meets Scotty. And instead of being open to Scotty and to wanting to listen to his stories, he's quite offended by the fact that this ancient dinosaur is trying to talk to him. And there's an arrogance to Jordy LaForge that doesn't pop up too often. But when it does, it's like really glaring. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess the other thing that I wanted to explore with you guys today was the idea that like we all went into the watch party yesterday and I, I know you couldn't make it, Ryan, but I know you're familiar with these shows. But I wish you were there because we all went in knowing what the storyline was and why, you know, it, it was perfect for this theme. And yet all of us were struck, like really struck with how creepy the dialogue was in the first one. And then the responses that Jordy had to Brahms in the second one, and then how it resolved at the end where she ended up apologizing to him. And we all agreed she had no reason to do so. It was kind of meta because I was sitting there thinking, like, my expectations of these shows <laughs> did not meet reality um, because it was really quite cringe. And so I wondered if you guys wanted to talk a little bit about about that and and whether you think back then they knew it was cringe or whether it's just with time we've all become a bit more woke. Well, I mean, I, I have... I certainly have fonder memories of it then than I do now because going back and looking at some of the lines that were delivered back then, they felt fun and like, you know, okay, we're going off the rails a little bit and now they feel forced and almost, you know, puppeted in a very creepy and unpleasing way. That, that really left a bad taste in my mouth. And I was really hoping, and, and my memory of it 
was one where they went back, rebrought this character back, which isn't something that they usually did. They made a special effort to go ahead and rebring up this whole plot line and set straight what what they sort of, you know, bumbled with the first time. And then they really dropped the ball at the end. They made her apologize for setting boundaries. And I felt that that was inappropriate. I know everybody else around me agreed. And I felt like they could have done a much better job of, you know, portraying ROM track because I, I, I will admit that until this point, I never thought of Star Trek as a as a source of, you know, sort of the romantic comedy. But since starting Star Trek Sundays and with the influence of our Captain Victoria, I have really come to appreciate the parts in which it works and then, of course, the parts in which it doesn't. And this is one of the times where it doesn't and it's disappointing. Because when, when Rom Trek works, it works really well. And this is one of the times where I feel like they were bumbling. They were very much in their season two and season two and season three just weren't good. They weren't, they were better than season one, but they had not hit their stride with season like they had with season seven, where they really, you know, understood their characters, where the, the show producers really, you know, felt strongly about what it is they were doing, you know, it, it the 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 crew had not gelled yet and so a little bit of awkwardness is to be expected but this level of cringe is sort of you know a, a bit of a a peak in the in the in the cringy aspect of it and so and i mean there's you know there's other peaks and that's how the, the season goes but uh, i think that you know looking back on this one um they would probably wish they had had treated this a little bit a little bit better if that makes sense when and from my perspective it also goes to show how far we've evolved right from like 1989 to now star trek the next generation was completely written from the male gaze's perspective you know a few episodes back we talked about the uss callister the dark the black mirror episode where the Black Mirror episode rubs our nose in it, but these two episodes lay the foundation for the USS Callister. The man who has an attraction to somebody, but instead of, of confronting that attraction with a real person, he has to have a, a virtual version of that person that he can manipulate to be exactly what he wants. And it's, it's the trials and tribulations of the male gaze combined with virtual reality, combined with actually meeting the real person. And Jordi LaForge, at this point, as he's being written, is that character, is the, is the, the guy from the USS Callister, right? Except the USS Callister is a little bit more cavalier about it, a little bit more blunt. But that this lays down the foundation for that show, for that episode, because it's men imagining women and falling in love with that imagination instead of actually seeing them as people. Jordy at this point has had a bad tendency of putting women on a pedestal and then asking, why doesn't anybody like me? 
or why can't I have a relationship? And it's because he hasn't overcome that problem that he has, which is putting women on a pedestal, but then, then virtualizing them instead of, of meeting them as real people, as humans. Right, right. Yeah, thank you, guys. Um, welcome to the stage, Steve. Uh, thank you for hosting the watch party yesterday. That was great. I've already put a couple of questions to uh, T and Ryan. So why don't I put the question to you that I last asked, and then you can let us know your thoughts on um, the episode as well as the question. Can you share a time in your life when you started a relationship romantic or otherwise, and your expectations did not meet reality, and you had to end the relationship. What contributed to the gap between expectation and reality in this instance? Actually, with my own uh, experience, I, I never once uh, ended a relationship. I mean, I guess the way in which to consider the same question is that the expectation was that the relationship could keep going, and then it didn't. Right. I find, yeah, I'm, I'm struck by a lot of sort of dead ends uh, in my experience where I don't really get to know the full story or the full understanding of what wasn't working out for the other person. Um, and it's too uncomfortable for us to ever really get into uh, detail about it. Uh, what, what was the rest of the question besides like just having such an experience? Well, it was um, what contributed to the gap between the expectation and reality. I would then say that like the biggest contribution that gave the gap for me is there ultimately was a lack of, of communication, right? Because I didn't understand or know what uh, my partner in those given instances uh, was really wanting. And I think that's it, also helped guide me to like just get a lot better with communication itself and to learn different ways in which like I can make it, you know, very clear that, you know, I'm here on, you know, on, on whatever your time, like when you're ready to, to share X, Y, Z with me to help in that communication and just kind of take everything in stride and realize that not everything uh, can be quite understood, right? Like shit just happens sometimes. Right. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, it's good that you're looking at that. I like to examine those things too and, and see what my contributions were and, improve it even if I don't know all of the information in the end. Let's twist that up a little bit though because I was curious and we've got a little time here. I'm going to put it to you first Steve and then to Ryan and T. Can you share a time in your life where you were in a situation where reality exceeded your expectations and you were surprised by that and maybe let us know what what made you not expect it to be as good as it was? Does something come to mind there, Steve? Well, I mean, with relationships still on my mind, um, my my present wife, where things actually worked out, I think one of the first things that I just really felt like she exceeded my expectations was the fact that she got me, right? Like I had kind of caved to the idea that like nobody would really understand me at the kind of level that she does or that no no woman would have in common with me the the desire to be honest with myself, the desire to see family as being something more than just, uh, you know, what the rules kind of require us to see of a family that like friends who feel like family, we can treat them like family, right? 
like all of us are better off just being in this whole struggle together of life. And I've experienced just way too many people, relationships uh, of all sorts in my life where people don't, they don't get that. They don't get that we actually can do a lot just being that ideal I, idea of a family that a lot of us, fair, to be fair enough, never got, right, in our real families. But then you've got to just make it for yourself. And like, so so to maybe put more of a clear uh, a pin in it, right, so you, you understand what I mean. Um, when I met my wife, I was still in a homeless program for veterans. I was homeless, um, not in school anymore. And I didn't have a vehicle. She had a car. To this day, I'm, I'm still driving that same car that she had when I met her. And she never once held that against me. That was never once a problem that um, I was struggling financially, right? But oh my God, is it not like the number one most important thing and a huge ass red flag for a lot of people, right? Not just women out there that the person that you're considering a long-term relationship with can't bring money to the table or hasn't brought money to the table and that they're, they're struggling can really be a huge red flag, right? But that was never an issue for it. That, that I think really do, did exceed my expectations by far. Like, I didn't think anybody else would have the, the heart to be that way but besides myself. Wow, that's that's incredible. You're right. It, it is something that a lot of people look at. And that's that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's really, really beautiful. And and I'm glad that your primary relationship is one that it exceeds your expectation, because that is, you know, what I hope for everybody as well. Ryan, what about you? Can you share a time in your life when reality exceeded your expectations? Yeah, I mean, I think um, when I met my wife, I was pretty cynical because I had been in the process of deconstructing my relationship with reality, the simulacrum versus, versus the actual truth. The time that I got to spend with her and see her as a human being, as a real person, I think exceeded all of my expectations because my expectations were were based on a false premise. And so I would say, yeah, that finding someone very much like me, but also very different from me, was what helped me overcome those expectations and approach reality slightly differently. That, you know, we, we have the virtual buildup of what we expect from others. And then there's the actual reality. You know, it's it's something that I, I still struggle with today, expectation versus reality. But, you know, that, that might just be a symptom of my ADD and uh, something that constantly needs work. Um, but meeting her and being with her for the last, gosh, we, we, we got together in 2006. So it's been a while that she and I have been partners and, uh, you know, seeing her for who she is versus what I want her to be has always surpassed my expectations. Oh, that's beautiful. Yay. <laughs> Another happy story. T, how about you? Can you think of a time in your life when you had your reality exceed your expectations? Now, are you only talking about relationships or is this No, anytime. These guys have brought up their wives, which is wonderful, but I'm thinking anything like 
even a vacation. Yeah, there. I mean, there's one time I went to the Lost Spirits Distillery in downtown Los Angeles, thinking that I was taking a distillery tour, and it turned out to be this Willy Wonka esque ride through a on a boat through a tunnel that was completely dark like literally you couldn't see your hand in front of your face like completely dark and that was the um riverway for their cooling tanks and into like this jungle scene and then into the the island of dr moreau and tasting all these scotches and rums and and onto this carousel and it blew my mind it was like it was like literally stepping into you know, Willy Wonka's factory, except it was, uh, except it was a distillery and the place doesn't exist anymore. They, it's now they have the, the whole like, uh, dinner experience in Las Vegas and everything, but it used to be this, this really wild thing in, in downtown Los Angeles for a few years. So I, I very clearly remember, you know, most of the distilleries I go to, I know exactly what I'm, what I'm expecting, I'm expecting a tour and they they really blew my mind so excellent excellent you, and you've reminded me of one of mine as well but i'll share it later if we have time so ted welcome to star trek sundays and welcome to the stage we've had a variety of conversations and i think you've been here for most of the morning did you have something specific to share or did you want me to to put one of the questions to you directly well, I originally came up because I wanted to comment on the question about Geordi engineering people and then have we become woke? Um, because I'm an engineer, my dad was an engineer, so I get engineers. And I actually, back when uh, TNG was on, I very much related to Geordi. And I would say rather than thinking he was engineering a people relationship, I think he it was more of a blind spot. You know, he was brilliant with the equipment and probably less aware of human interaction. So I doubt he was trying to engineer it. And uh, I think there was an earlier show a few months ago uh, where the, the show was Janeway and Chakotay and she touched him in her, uh, her, her room and there were comments about you know oh my god you know that would never fly but back in 19 what would that have been 1990 something i guess that was not a big deal and and i think the the woke adventure i think of was the movie flash dance which back when it came out i didn't think twice of the relation the fact that the company president is hitting on this welder employee. I mean, that would just never fly today, but it was scripted in the movie. And I don't think anybody thought twice about it back then. So, you know, saying we're more woke, we're definitely more aware now, but I think back, you know, you think about the original series was in the sixties and, uh, relationships between men and women or uh, sub superiors and subordinates were very different back then. So I, I just think there's been a lot of change on that and, you know, for the most part, change for the better. 
And then the uh, later two questions, uh, relationship I had, uh, former girlfriend was a uh, coworker, you know, very talented that way, really good personality. But as our relationship got deeper and I saw how life worked, her life was like making sausage. It was just very hard to watch. So what started out great ended badly. And the flip side of that, uh, something that you didn't know what it was going to look like and it turned out better was a job I had in the 80s working for an electric utility. And when I started there, it was slow to change and just not a very exciting place to work. And they brought uh, consultants in from Japan to teach us uh, Japanese quality improvement methods and totally changed the way the company worked and um, created my career, really. So that was a huge, unexpected success that I've had. So those are my thoughts. Got any other questions? <laughs> well, those are those are actually really, really great. Um, T, I saw you unmute at one point. Did you have a response? Yeah, I think I, just to say that Ted was right on about the first part. I think that was that was definitely really well thought out on your part, and thank you for that. Yeah, I appreciate that too. The the blind spot instead of the engineering. I also liked what you said about the original series. It is funny because I look back on the original series and we talk about this often about how progressive it was in many ways. And yet at the same time that it covered these themes of racism, which we covered at the very beginning of the season, and it talked and, and equality and even some of it, you know, the feminism wasn't there too much. But then I'll be watching the show and think this is great. And then all of a sudden Bones talks about slapping women <laughs> or something or he slaps them. And, and I'm like, what? What, what is, what's going on here? So, you know, I guess we all progress at different stages in different areas. But yeah, it's sometimes shocking to me because I do think it's progressive in some of the topics it discussed, but it, it still had some of that old fashioned stuff that we find really upsetting nowadays. I think, you know, that's a real good point about how the original series addressed racism. But to a large extent, women's liberation, for instance, didn't come in until the 70s. So it wasn't so much a topic they even considered, I don't think. There's just a go, little area I want to shine a flashlight on this um, to keep in mind that Gene Roddenberry came from the Pulp Fiction era, and he is historically known for um, having quite a bit of like... Uh, erotic messaging in his writing um, that kind of got uh, uh, negotiated out of a lot of uh, early um, original Star Trek, but not entirely, uh, if you really read between the lines. And um, I think there's something to be said about the general toxicity of a culture and the ways in which people within that culture try to heal from that toxicity. Um, so I, I'm just shining a flashlight, not saying I really understand what the relationship is, but I do see a lot of uh, BDSM as being some means of trying to heal from the toxic, uh, you know, experiences that we've had in our lives. And in a sense, I almost want to wonder if 
some of that, at least the the Pulp Fiction, the the kind of writing of uh, Bones <laughs> justifying slapping a woman, um, was more of an offshoot of uh, of not necessarily just Gene, but people of that era trying to piece together what happened here, what is the puzzle or the problem of this dysfunction that occurs uh, in our relationships and utilize that writing to explore it for themselves. Yeah, you know, the the Pulp Fiction edition um, makes a bit more sense, actually, because if you were reading, like on paper, the script might not have seemed as creepy as when it's said, right? Like, I'm just, as you guys were talking, I'm thinking about some of the lines, and I'm thinking if I read that in a book, yeah, I'd get the innuendo, but I wouldn't have been like, <laughs> Right. And so so that makes a bit more sense. Not that we're trying to excuse it or anything, but um, yeah, it's just it's a it's it's a good discussion. I really appreciate you guys uh, digging into this. So thinking of the original series, do you, when you think about kind of using sex to attract people to the episode. So Yeoman Rand in her short uniform would be one example of that. But how about the green dancing woman as a more extreme example of that? I think that's a perfect example. I think that's exactly what they were trying to do was bring in a, a casual crowd who wasn't necessarily into sci-fi. Oh, but but I got to point out the fact that they were painted green. I guarantee that that was not something that the executives thought was a great idea. Like that is all Gene Roddenberry is like, no, no, I want sexy aliens. Let's do that. Well, sexy aliens are the best aliens. <laughs> right. So T, was there anything else that we needed to say on, on expectations versus reality? This was all, this has been an amazing and fantastic opportunity. And I am so excited for next week because it was actually Captain Radborn who picked out the the episodes for next week's curation, which is The Hero's Journey. And so two amazing episodes, perfect for the topic, like could, you know, show, showed me how it's done and really excited for those. And looking <laughs> forward to looking forward to more. So well, I got a I got a hint from one of the crew and he's not here, so I won't doubt him, but um next week hopefully he'll he'll come and be able to participate because he did say that the second episode we have scheduled is his favorite of the hero's journey of all star trek so that's a good recommendation there ryan ted steve did you have anything else to add before i close up and uh do a wrap-up i want to i want to end with two points so lieutenant barkley is a character that's known for having a holodeck addiction and Jordy LaForge is very unkind to him often enough because of that, but then turns around and does the same thing. So there's, there's a character flaw to Jordy LaForge that, that's always bothered me when it comes to that. In terms of, of expectation, I want to end with this. Star Trek is both our past in terms of when these episodes, these shows were produced, but is also a, a hope for our future. And there's always going to be these these corrections that we'll have to make because cultures change. And um, the times that when these episodes were made were inherently different than they are now. 
and so the these these episodes are a time capsule in some respects of the current culture of the time but also of the hopes for the future and uh, and i'll end with that well thank you ryan and ted did you have any last words for this particular theme no thoughts for this one look forward to next time great thank you for coming and sharing this is star trek sundays on clubhouse our regular show is sunday at 10 a.m pst to be notified of future shows, please join the House on Clubhouse on our mailing list at StarTrekSundays.com. Today, we were discussing expectation versus reality. Thank you to everyone who has participated in the show and to our listening supporters. Please join us next week for an examination of the hero's journey. We hope you have a great week. Thank you so much, everyone. Uh, definitely a case of the reality exceeding my expectations. Live long and prosper.